Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. We are here with another roundtable with Polly and Nathan. How's it going, boys? Uh, going pretty well on my end, uh, as best as I can be. Um, yeah, how about you guys? Um, I'm alive, which is good. That's a good thing. Can't deny that. But it's it's starting to get draining here. We're at almost a week now without without United, without any sports, and it's it's draining. <laughs> yeah, I think NFL free agency has been a little bit exciting to follow at times, but I think most of that's done. Most of the exciting stuff is going to be done for the first couple days. So, uh, entering another. Uh, not, I mean, not even. I'm like, oh, cool. Like all these players moved, but the NFL, like, it. There's no sport greater than the NFL where fans think that they know what's going to happen before it actually happens, and it never plays out that way. They're like, it's hard to get excited about a free agent signing. <laughs> Well, I'm excited because the Cleveland Browns actually signed an offensive tackle that's com- like competent. So, we'll see how that goes. Um, I was formerly an American football fan, specifically the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they've burnt that bridge so many times that I don't acknowledge the sport anymore. And uh, judging by the notifications I forgot to turn off, they are uh, having a fire sale, so... I can't even get excited about NFL free agency. Yeah, yeah my friends, my friends keep complaining that the Jets aren't doing anything, and I'm like, yeah, but like, does it matter if they like? It doesn't matter if they don't sign somebody on the first day. Like, as long as they address the positions of need, that's cool. Also, how did we manage to like find three people who root for like the three most depressing football teams? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, you this know, when I became a United table. fan. I thought this was going to be like the one sports team that was going to be good for me. Um, growing up in Florida, I was a Jaguars fan, and uh, yeah, it's not quite the case. And uh, Matt, who I record with uh, whenever I'm not recording with you guys, he's a Buffalo Bills fan, so not much better. Even though Yeesh. they did land Stefan Diggs, so uh, maybe that'll be something. All right, so transitioning into the other football news. Uh, For the first part of this podcast, we're going to catch up a little bit on Manchester United news. Um, For starters, uh, Bruno Fernandes winning Player of the Month, deservedly, in the Premier League. But uh, a bit odd, as the Premier League is now done (laughs) for the time being. But uh, a chance, I guess, for us to kind of look back on how much of an effect he's really had for us and just how good of a signing Bruno Fernandes has been. Well, and more importantly, Bruno Fernandez not only won Player of the Month, but that means he also gets the uh, Premier League Player of the Month card in FIFA, which just looks so, so good, Colin. I mean, you and I were both just drooling over that card when they announced it the other day. Yeah, but it, it's got four four squad building requirements for it, and I just don't have the coinage or the patience to go through with it like I did with the Wayne Rooney one. Hey, man, we got nothing but time right now. Um, it, it's time to grind out a Bruno Fernandez card, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I contemplated getting a PS4 today. Uh, <laughs> but then as soon as I started, as soon as I started Googling it, like, like to see how much it was going to cost, it came up PlayStation 5. And I was like, Jesus, like, we're already up to 5. And then I Googled PlayStation 5 release date, and it's coming out later this year. And I was like... I bought a PS2 like a year and a half, maybe two years before PS3 came out, and like same story with PS3. And I was like, I can't just get a PS4 now, which is still really expensive, if if the PS5 is coming out later this year. I would not um, start betting on the PS5 releasing this year. Uh, yeah, and I also wouldn't bet on me definitely not buying the PS4. <laughs> it's just, it's still just crazy expensive. One of us. <laughs> I just, I need something to do. <laughs> yeah, old Trafford Lego set. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's not coming until my wedding, though. That'll, co- that'll cost as much as a PlayStation 4. <laughs> you can't have his I and hers Old Trafford Lego sets? Uh, I, I, I just, I, I hope my wedding is goes ahead on the actual date that it's supposed to go ahead on, and that, and then maybe I can get my old Trafford Lego set then. You could always uh, live stream it on Twitch or something. What, building it? No, your wedding. Yeah. Just yeah, a little yeah, Google well, Hangout, pretty chill. Yeah, 
exactly. I mean, that's that's what we're coming to now. Is is every day we have a my friends and I we have a three o'clock kickoff where we pick a random game that we could find online, usually like an old World Cup game, and we just watch it. That that's, that's our sports now. As long as it's not the USA Belgium 2014 game. I actually want to go back and watch that one because I want to see. I have it queued up because I want to see like how good Tim Howard was. I know you and I talked about how you just want to feel. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. You just want to feel. Right. I can't. I can't feel for that game. I can't do it. I felt. I felt nothing after it. Well, I, just, I mean, that's that's a different feeling. Like what I what I want is because uh, all the local sports channels are like are doing their best now to to just re air games, but it's like. You flip over and it's like Rangers Classics or Mets Classics. And thank God they're now just starting to air random Mets games because they really, um, they really, re- SNY like during the, the off season runs Mets Classics, but it's like six games and it's the same six games every year. And like, not all of them are classics. So like, at least they're airing random ones. But when you flip onto the TV and it says, like, best of 2019, it's like, I know at the end of the day you're going to win. And, like, at this point, I'd rather just put on a random game that, like, from June 12th that I have no idea about it. Like, you know, it's a mundane game and I could at least watch it and be like, what's going to happen here? I I just want to feel something. Anyway, yeah, so uh, Bruno Fernandez, so good. Just, I think he's way better than I think we even anticipated. We had our roundtables, what, back in January when I don't even think the move had gone through yet. And we were just talking about it as it was a possibility of like, what could Bruno provide Manchester United? Yeah. And I think for the, at least for the most part, he's exceeded our expectations. I know we all wanted to kind of curb him a little bit because, you know, we've been hurt before. <laughs> we don't want to be hurt again. But, um, I mean, just from the first match when he came in, you know, he's grabbing guys by the scruff of the neck. You know, he's getting in guys' faces. He's telling them where they need to be um, to a point where it almost looked embarrassing the way he was, like, yelling at – I think it was – I think he got in Pereira's face at one point. It was like, no, you need to be well, – Like the first game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just came in and was like, no, son, you need to be here. Not whatever you're doing, stop doing that. And I think that's been something that's really – been missing at United and I mean winning player of the month has shown just his immediate impact in the little bit of time that he's been with United both the goals the assists and then all the little things that he's doing even when he's not assisting goals or scoring goals he is in some way involved or helping set up you know and the Statman Dave video that I sent in the Slack chat today uh, Fernandez's ability on the ball and without the ball has also helped out Fred immensely Fred is as good as Fred looked earlier on, now he's looking, you know, quite good uh, playing with Bruno Fernandez in the midfield. And I, I think that's the most important thing. You, you knew Fernandez was going to provide some individual, um, you know, performances that were going to be really, really beneficial for United. But I think it's the overall uh, effect that he's had on the team, I think, is what makes him so much more important for uh, and why his signing was so important and, you know, heady to make. Yeah, my uh yeah. The... Oh, go ahead, Bolly. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say my roommate uh, enjoys reminding me of my skepticism of Bruno Fernandez. Um, even if I wasn't maybe as skeptical as Polly was, I was. I definitely thought that there would be a bit of a learning curve coming from Portugal to England, and maybe it's just showing you know the lack of quality that we've had in midfield in Pogba's absence. But I mean, he's he's he is the engine in the United team right now. But you have a right to be skeptical because you're the owner of an Alexis Sanchez jersey. I am indeed <laughs> the owner of an Alexis Sanchez jersey. I mean, I I think it's I think it's both. I think like there there was definitely reason to be skeptical. How would he fit in? Yeah. And it's just it's a testament to him how he has come in and he said you do you know getting in people's faces. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do this. But also it's you know I've spoken about it all year and there are other people have, that have been talking about it all year talking about what Solskjaer is building and it it's hard to see that when the ball doesn't go in the net you know when you when you do all the build up correctly you know you could have the best tactics in the world but if the if you don't put the ball in the net your tactics aren't going to do anything your tactics your tactics can keep the ball out of your net but ultimately you can't win unless you put the ball in the net and 
it's so hard to see all the things that are coming along when the ball ends up at eventually ends up at the feet of Lingard or Pereira and it all just it goes away. So just stepping into that role and allowing everybody else to just do what they do best has been immense. Um, you know, just let Greenwood come in and make those late runs at the end and worry only about having to score goals at the very end. And you saw that against Watford, especially when Solskjaer said, hey, stay wide and make your runs later. Uh, give Bruno that space in the middle. And, you know, if you make a later run, he'll get you the ball in a good place. And all you have to do is worry about scoring a goal. And with Fred, like you look at Matic, who is very good defensively, very good positionally, very good at winning back and maintaining possession of the ball, but can't do much else with it. And you saw it exposed very badly against Arsenal when he just wasn't willing to make the passes, those long balls towards Rashford and James and Martial that United's midfield needed to do. But he's at his best where his best run of form in United shirts have come when, you know, he just wins the ball back, short, simple pass to Pogba, let Pogba go and do it. And now it's win the ball back and just, Give it to Bruno. Short, simple pass to Bruno. Let him do it. And you're not asking him to do things that he's not good at. And, you know, like Fred, you just say, hey, partner Matic, go out, run around, be a nuisance, win the ball back, get it to Bruno. And all of a sudden, instead of Fred having to feel like, well, if I give it to Pereira, I just have to defend again. It's no, I can go and give it to this guy. And everybody all of a sudden is playing just the roles that they are good at. And it's open this team up so much and so well. And I think another example of players that have definitely improved since the arrival of Bruno, I was going to bring up Daniel James because at least in the last two games of the potentially the season um, against Manchester City and then against LASK, uh, I mean, Daniel James just looked like a rested and confident player again. He was sent through on goal against City a couple times and he hit it straight at Ederson one time and then I think missed it the other time. But he was one of those times yeah. he should have cut it back. Yeah. But I mean, he's getting in those positions again where he doesn't have to run himself into the ground on the wing and you know just put up a prayer into the box. Like he's finding space again. He's like, Bruno has just opened up the attack for everyone. And right, and it's it's he's benefited tremendously from that winter break. Um, and just the fact that we have Bruno, which means you don't have to play James. You know, every he's Solskjaer's been able to rest. James, maybe he overrested him against Everton, mm-hmm. um, but but that gave him a week. You know, he played. He didn't even. He played 45 minutes against uh, whoever we played in the first round of the Europa League, and then didn't play again for another 10 days. So additional rest, which has really helped him because that kid needed a break so bad. But you you also look at when Mata has come in in the cup games, and Mata's the one guy that we have that can pick out that pass and can and makes smart off the ball runs. The problem is when Mata picks out that pass and it goes to the feet of, you know, and, and Lingard takes a really heavy or poor touch, the pass doesn't do anything because it's a turnover or Mata makes that smart run. Nobody's able to pick out that pass. So suddenly you have a smart player in Bruno and a smart player in Mata and it, it's really helping Mata's game out in in these cup games, which allows us to rotate the squad because suddenly Mata's a much more viable player that can provide that offense that we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of cup games, um, the, the Europa League uh, game against Lask, which was played behind closed doors, as of now is the last game of the season. But uh, Manchester United still in the FA Cup quarterfinal against Norwich and almost certainly through to the quarterfinal of the Europa League now, and it, UEFA announced this week that they are currently planning to try and finish this club season, or the current club season, by the end of June. Uh, that is a pretty, um, I want to say, optimistic timetable for them, uh, considering the way that things are unfolding, you know, with this global pandemic. But it does seem that the idea is to finish this season in some way or another or try to as best as possible. Yeah, it's, I mean, looking at the the time window that they're 
trying to push it towards. I I think that's still probably, you know, a little too um, optimistic on their part, especially with the way the outbreak is, you know, affecting the countries differently and hitting in different ways. You know, Italy was like two weeks ahead of, you know, for instance, the United States. And um, we're starting to see now where different countries are starting to go in different types of lockdowns. I know, uh, I believe Denmark restricted travel. Um, Italy's just completely shut down right now. So it's one of those things like you got to wait at least, you know, the 14 days to see how the, you know, the symptoms go. And I mean, I know we're not doctors, but we've watched the news enough. It, you can just figure it out, you know, from a layman's point of view. I think June still feels optimistic because we don't know what this thing's going to look like in, you know, two weeks. There's a lot of world governments right now that started taking this thing seriously about seven days ago. So, um, if that exactly. Yeah. So unless, um, the Hoffenheim, owner wants to become uh both the most hated man in germany and the most loved man in germany um and create the vaccine quicker i just, i don't know I don't, I don't see it happening it, yeah. I, unless, unless they're gonna play games behind closed doors um they're definitely not gonna be playing them in front of fans yeah i just i don't june seems optimistic but i just I don't put a timetable on it I, I just don't get why we we need to put a timetable on it we can adapt to this like we could I think this season can be finished. Um, you're right. Like I, I saw somewhere this morning that there was a proposal to like play all the games at these three Midlands stadiums, like, and they just play them, uh, you know, back to back, like at three, so that they'd all be behind closed doors. We'd play them at neutral neutral ground, so that the fans wouldn't congregate outside the stadium before the game. Um, I mean, I guess that's a possibility. Um, Use soccer you know, tournament. <laughs> yeah, basically. I, I mean, if that's what you're going to do, like, I don't know how this has hit Australia, but I haven't heard much. But, like, if Australia's kind of been staying away from this, then, like, let everybody get healthy and then just play the games there, like, so that you can let fans in. Um, and, I, I mean, that's better than – it's better than nothing. But, again, just don't – you you've moved the Euros now. So don't put a timetable on it. Take – what time needs to be? Maybe you go to uh, a single leg in the Champions League and Europa League for the remainder of the the rounds. But for everything else, just just finish it out. If you have to play a few extra games a week, like okay, use your whole squad. Uh, and ultimately, just if if you run into July, cool. Like give the players four weeks off after the season. Uh, they are they're already having this extended break. So like you're already getting a bit of an off season here. A lot of these players were going to play through July anyway because of the Euros. So give them four weeks off. You don't have to go on a preseason tour. You could, you know, play a friendly or two and then just start the season. Uh, eliminate the international breaks until you get caught up. You, you know, you can each international break allows you to play a weekend and a midweek and a midweek game. Uh, in fact, it actually allows you to play two midweek games. If you have to, and again, use your whole squad. It's going to be draining on the players, but use the whole squad to rotate the players and do that and get caught up. And you can move World Cup and, you know, you get rid of the Nations League. You just start again with with World Cup qualifying as soon as you're ready to start international breaks. Like if you're if you're caught up by the November international break, then take an international break in November and start World Cup qualifying. But just remember, you have an extra summer to get this done because the 2022 world cup isn't until November. Mm -hmm. So if you need to do, if you need to play five world cup qualifiers in, in June of 2022, like you could do that. Yeah. And I think obviously moving back the Euro has been a huge boost to hopes that the season would end, but really it just seems like the most fair option, especially for, you know, a lot of the clubs at the bottom of the table right now, because, that relegation battle is so tight in multiple leagues and the, the relegation battle and the, and the chance to get into the champions league. Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, they're, they're saying, Oh, wolves and Sheffield. I don't think wolves and Sheffield would have gotten there anyway, but they are right there. Right. And, and it, it was, a, and considering that, you know, up until, up until this point of the season, prior to that United and Chelsea have not found any modicum of consistency in their seasons that for Sheffield and, and Wolves, you know, why not? Yeah. And it really sucks that this happened right as we hit, you know, this great run of form and, you know, there's no 
telling what we could come right back and pick it up again in June or something. But I'm, you know, I'm still a bit skeptical about this because we've seen this United team this season just squander runs of form so consistently. But they've never hit a run of form like this. That's and true. I and I also I think this I think I other than Liverpool and the fact that they may not win a title, like there's a non-zero chance of that happening. I think this this the timing of this hurts United more than anybody. I mean, people were saying, yeah, but they'll get Pogba back. They'll get Rashford back. And it's like, cool. We just – we were unbeaten in 11. We had kept nine queen sheets. We were about to face a Tottenham team that doesn't have any strikers. And their midfield and defense look lost. They already look like they've kind of quit on Mourinho. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of just look – out of it, and while yes, it would be classic United to have a letdown game and Mourinho to to pull one out because he really wants to win this game. You had to fancy their chances in this, and Paul Pogba could have played in this game if they really wanted him to, but they wouldn't have. So given another week, and Paul Pogba would have been back, and you know this team, and they would have been able to pretty much rotate the entire squad for the second leg against Lask and and advance. And that would have enabled them to also rotate pretty well against Norwich in the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. And you, you're you looking at a really realistic op- chance that they could have picked up another three points against Tottenham. And heading into the international break, they'd be in the quarterfinals of the Europa League and in the semifinals of the FA Cup. Very realistic chance of that. Yeah. Instead, yes, now they go on this break, which who knows how they come out of it. And yes, uh, Pogba will be back, and Rashford might be back too. But um, Harry Kane will probably be back when they come out of it. Like, who knows if Son's coming back? Tammy Abraham could be back. Christian Pulisic could be back. All these other teams are getting are getting healthy. And not to mention the the X factor that United had coming down the stretch – of this was Mason Greenwood, who has played like 600 minutes in the Premier League this season. He's played like a thousand minutes overall, and that's it. And you would be able to unleash him against very tired legs, which is such an asset. If you look at what Divock Origi did for Liverpool last year, it's because he was fresh at the end of the season. You look at what Greenwood did against Cardiff. He was the best player on the field by a mile when he made his first start in the in the premier on the final day of the season because he was playing against guys that had had a whole season of wear and tear on their legs and he was fresh and united would have that uh now they'll still have that but everybody else will have you know have basically an off season to recharge their batteries too yeah and you you know questionable whether it even happens at this point or not but in an ideal world where it does happen that was kind of my point last week with Matt was that Harry Kane would be back too. I still don't think that this team really cares much for Mourinho anyway right now. And he's already, you know, in third season Mourinho mode where he's throwing people under the bus. But, I mean, if it does pick up again, they would probably have to redo the whole schedule anyway. I'm not sure we playing against Tottenham would even be our first game. I'm sure it wouldn't, but... You know, whenever we would play them, it's 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 a different look than the team that we would have thrown out there last Sunday versus the team they would have thrown out there last Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean to echo your guys' points too. It was it just feels like this was the worst timing to have this. I mean, it's obviously not good timing at all, but for at least United's purposes, I I really think we're starting to hit a run of form. Um, I know you mentioned that it. We always seem to stumble out of them, but I, I, I think just the addition of Bruno Fernandez is that important, and that was something that we didn't have. Um, it'll be a nice boost if, you know, Pogba comes back. They posted video today of him training with Victor Lindelof, um, so which is, if I remember right, a Manchester United teammate. So that's right, I which, think- which just shows how much all the all of his teammates also hate him. Clearly. Yeah, I, I think it's the first. That's probably the first footage I've seen of him with anything United related in a really, really long time. So oh, you didn't see that video of him in the hot tub with like Igalo and and Bai. I clearly missed that one, but 
it w- there was training in this footage instead of just like chilling, which I think is positive. Um, I mean, granted, he was wearing a Blaze Matweedy jersey, but it's also because, you know, Fr- uh, they're both French national team players together, and Blaze Matweedy did come down with the coronavirus, so he's trying to show support theirs. But I'm sure someone out there will not get that and just think that he's leaving and call him trash. Um, so for the people without that context, you know, I mean, I guess enjoy living in your cave. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's positive. Yeah. I think people have already done that a little bit on Twitter. Um, I've been trying to avoid it, uh, for the most part, but I, I did see a couple people talking about it. I think I actually got a Bleacher Report update about that video. Well, of course, yeah, I mean, Bleacher Report was just going to post like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, oh my God, is that Pogba in a Juventus kit? And it's like, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. So, fake news. All right. Uh, so we are going to take a quick ad break, and then when we come back, uh, Polly, Nathan, and I are going to do a discussion of the 2010-2011 season review DVD, or MP4 as we watched it, and <laughs> uh, give our takes on that, it's sort of what yeah, we saw versus our memory. And, uh, yeah, kind of give us – give our favorite goals, players, and uh, performances from that season, so uh, stay tuned for that. And we're back. Uh, so, Polly, Nathan, and I decided uh, during our quarantine time that in order to kill some of that time, we would go back and watch uh, some Manchester United season reviews and maybe talk about them a little bit on the podcast. Um, and the one that was selected for this first installment was the 2010-2011 season review, a season in which Manchester United won their 19th Premier League title with, uh, what was it, 77 points? Or 80. 80. 80. Yeah, winning the Premier League title with 80 points, and uh, Chelsea were the closest rivals with 73, I believe. So... 71. 71. 71 ahead of City on goal difference. Wow. What a time to be alive. (laughs) Man. Jesse Mourinho's second place Manchester United team would have won the title that year. It would have. That's that is that is part of why this season was selected. Yeah, there there is quite a lot to talk about. Um, so I guess we'll start with one major talking point, which is that we won the league with 80 points. I mean, the, a lot of these games were draws, and like Manchester United went most of this season unbeaten until about January, I believe. And, but they weren't, you know, just destroying everyone. And it wasn't that they were pulling away from people in the title race. You know, the, these were a lot of 2-2 draws or 1-1 draws. I think it was maybe the beginning of the end for that Nemanja Vidic, Rio Ferdinand partnership. Yeah, I mean, part of the, I, I, I'll take the blame on this one the same way that I said Bruno let's be cautious about him and he's been unbelievable I was the one that selected this one because I was like I don't remember this season very well which is weird because I was in college I had my own room I had a tv with the cable package that got all the games I actually remember during the season remarking about how like United had played like 40 straight games that were on American television and this is back in the day where like Sometimes you just didn't know. Sometimes you had to go and find the illegal stream of the game because they weren't all available. And yet I just don't – I was like this season, I just, I remember Chicharito and, and Berbatov and everything. And so I selected it hoping like maybe there's just – no, this season was just – it was crap. And United were not good at all. Um, and the, the – yeah, they won the league by nine points with 80 points is is the testament it's it's it 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 almost mirror is the wrong word but it's very similar to this season where the league is just all bunched together and everybody's drop you know everybody's dropping points and you know when people say like oh well they're only three points out of the out of a top four spot well yeah but in a normal year they'd be well above that well yeah but it you know, they're only playing in this season. And in a normal season, especially in the last decade, this United team would not have won the title. But luckily, they didn't compete in a normal season. They competed in this particular season. And it was rough. Yeah, like like you said, they didn't 
I think part of the issue was they didn't blow people out. It was a lot of just poor football. And then especially in the first half of the season, Hernandez would come on in like the 60th minute and at some point score a goal to go up one nil. And it seemed like whenever United did score more than one goal, it came at the expense of defense and they couldn't keep the ball out of their own net. Yeah. And I mean, adding to the weirdness of that season, um, looking at the runner results, I mean, United took, uh, they were never in first until November 27th when they smashed Blackburn. And then after that, they never gave up first position. They, they ended the season that way. And so, you know, that's all typical in the of Ferguson teams. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, it, would get off the slow starts and then pick it up in December. Yeah, and it seemed like they were neck and neck with you know Chelsea for the most part that season. But if, once they beat Chelsea at the tail end, I think what was that second uh, last or third to last game of the season? You know, yeah. they were just able to walk away with it. Um, you know, kind of stop that late surge. But you know, I noticed it, a lot of the same things that you were saying, and of course with the context of I didn't watch. Um, club soccer at this point. So a lot of the stuff that I was watching was new to me. Uh, but, I, you know, it seemed like you saw a ton of Berbatov highlights. You saw a lot of Chicharito highlights. Um, you know, they scored quite a few goals between them. Um, but you also saw that team squander, you know, two goal leads uh, several times, uh, including uh, David Moyes' Everton. Um, so it, it, it does seem like from – the context of actually watching the season, I bet it was a lot weirder than when you watch it with the gloss of the season review DVD, where for the most part, it just felt like it was business as usual. I didn't necessarily have the context of like, oh, this team is not performing as well as it, it would have like two years ago or anything like that. Yeah, that was what I was trying to garner during this was how, like trying to remember how did I feel during the season? Um, because what you know they they did they did keep pulling out enough results uh to, to get it going i mean you say dimitar berbatov scored a bunch of goals he scored 20 he won the golden boot but with 20 goals he would never win the golden boot with 20 goals these days and 11 of those and, goals were in three games yeah and 11 <laughs> of those goals five of them was in one game <laughs> and his last goal came in february uh you know like it was a story that he was left out of the 18 completely for the Champions League final, but like at the at the time and in hindsight, they both made sense. The guy was on terrible form and at that point in time did not even fit the United team and was not a good option off the bench. And it made complete sense that Ferguson left him out. There were other issues with the team selection of that final, but it made complete sense that Ferguson left him out of that game. And yeah, like that was I just I, I remember I'm watching this DVD and and when I turned it on I, and I started watching the first two months or something, I'm just thinking like, yeah, this is as mundane and as poor as I remember it. And I'm trying to think, well, well, why? And it, it can't just be because I'm in this dour mood because of this quarantine and that I'm letting that affect this. And then I was like, but what is it about this season that, that just caught me? It was – there probably wasn't anything to be excited about that year. Yes, we we finished um, we finished a point behind Chelsea, and the the season before Rooney was on the form of his life that season. So yeah, you expected we're going to get a fit Wayne Rooney back, and Ferguson said I could run the same team back because they just came, they came up just short. But that was it. Like what were you the signings that year were Chris Smalling, Chicharito. And Bebe. And I remember at the time, like, all the, the Glazer protests and me being like, well, like, at, I, at the time I was a college kid and I was kind of new to the sport and being like, I think everybody's overblowing this a bit. You know, we still made the Champions League final. We're still winning titles. We've we've made the Champions League final three times in the last four years. We've, we're have winning a bunch of titles. Like, whatever your issues with the Glazers are – it's it's obviously not a big deal. And then today I'm watching and I'm like, no, like I understand why Rooney wanted to leave. <laughs> yeah. And you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. And of course, yeah, you just mentioned it. That is the season where Wayne Rooney controversially handed in a transfer request in October. Um, he was going through, I think, 
the personal issue of accusations of infidelity. Yeah, they totally and... blew over that part. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> totally blew. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't think they're going to mention that. Uh, he also had a really awful World Cup coming off of his foot injury, and then you know only scores. Because he came back early, because that's what players do. <laughs> they come back early from injuries. Anyway, <laughs> he only scores two penalty goals in the first half of the season. But then in January, he turns on and he scores 14 goals the rest of the season. I think he also gets something like 12 or 13 assists that year. And for the second half of the season, really kind of carries Manchester United over the line, not just in the Premier League, but also in the Champions League, because he gets the crucial goal at Chelsea. Um, he's one of the crucial players in the second leg where we really, I mean, and by the way, the season review doesn't do this game justice, but that was a really exciting game to watch. Uh that season in particular because Manchester United were really swarming Chelsea for most of that game. And then, you know, scores the one goal in the final against Barcelona. And a lot of the goals that are kind of on, you know, all the YouTube videos of top 20 Wayne Rooney goals or whatever, a few of those goals are from the second half of that season. He just kind of came alive again. He really... That goal... Yeah, the that... (laughs) Manchester City bicycle kick goal, especially, yeah. He really did come alive. You you talked about his assists. His assists were actually what kept him going in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you we talk about Dimitar, he missed six weeks because of the personal issues and that ankle injury flaring up. And United, uh, they didn't lose during that time because they were, uh, you know, they were unbeaten until like January or February, despite this such mediocre performance after mediocre performance. Um, but everybody says, oh, well, Berbatov kept them alive in the first half of the season because we all know that he scored, you know, 18 of his 20 goals in the first half, 19 of his 20 goals came with Rooney on the field. So he only scored one. I think he only scored one time during those six weeks that Rooney was absent. They just, they got by with own goals. Uh, I believe they got 11 own goals in the league that season. They got by because... Because of Hernandez, you know, coming on in a game where they should win two, three, four nil and just scoring once to win one nil. Uh, like I said, this was like a very unmemorable season. And when we discussed bring like, let's do this one, because I said, maybe it'll be maybe it'll be better than what I remember. And Colin said, oh, you know, it was a pretty good season. They came really close to winning the treble. Yeah, we were. And I was like, damn. We we're two wins away like, from the winning the treble. I was like, damn, you're right. You're it's a lot closer yeah, than Liverpool, wins. am I right? Right. Three wins, three wins away. And I was like, damn, you're right. But it's like, how did they even get there? And you look at this Champions League campaign, which just couldn't have been less inspiring. A, a nil-nil draw against Rangers at home. Uh, a one-nil win against Valencia. A one nil win at against Bursaspor at home, and then finally the one game in the in the group stage where they they blew it away was a three nil win against Bursaspor away. Which, if I tell you who scored the goals, you will understand exactly how bad Bursaspor are. And three nil away and four nil on aggregate is not good at all. And then you know they got they beat Rangers away on a penalty and and Valencia at home they get a, another draw like it was it was not inspiring you know this yeah. team was just the textbook team of just doing enough to win and what really so uh, going back to what I said before about like what's there to be excited about was if you like within two games of this new season it was right there and it was game one against Newcastle. Uh, skulls with a beautiful pass to Giggs for a goal. And then in game two, skulls with a shot from outside the box for a goal. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. This team is relying on Giggs and skulls to be Giggs and skulls. When skulls was planning on skulls was planning on and did retire at the end of the year. And Giggs was something like 37. You go back to when they won the champions league two years ago, three years ago. And it's I'm not going to say Giggs and Skulls were bit part players, but they were sure not, you know, automatic starters every week. They were first choice players, but they didn't start a lot of games because they were rested a lot. And either way, when they were out there, there was Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, mm-hmm. like Carrick did a lot of the Carrick and Hargreaves did a lot of the midfield lifting. So 
their roles were really simple. Like, hey, just go out there and do your thing. Like, we're not relying on you. You're just pieces of this team, which is why we are so good. And this year it was like back to, you know, when they're three years older and very much at the end of the career, their careers, it was back to like, hey, we need you guys to be like really good again. Yeah, I think that I, I took notes while I was watching it. And that was one of the things I wrote down is how involved Ryan Giggs was in the offense. Um, and you kind of see it in that Champions League stretch as well, that he is involved in so many of the goals because they need him to be. <laughs> Antonio Valencia right. missed a lot of the season with a was... knee injury. And, you know, we hadn't signed. I, I think our backup wing or options at that point was like Gabriel Obertan, who was not that was, <laughs> good. But I, but I was astonished about was how many times did I look up and I saw Obertan and Bebe on and or Bebe yeah. on the pitch. And I'm like, Jesus, how much playing time did we give these guys? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it was not a good time. <laughs> um, and another thing, not football related at all, but as far as I know, this is the only season review where it exclusively uses MUTV commentary. And all of the game highlights are this like weird cinematic yeah, terrible. edited. Cuts. Yeah. It's like NFL films. Yeah. It's like, j- I, and the next year they went back to the same format where they use, you know, BT Sport, Sky, or whatever coverage. It's like it's normal commentators, then. but yeah, it's like Stuart Gardner. Every game is, just is too much for me to handle. <laughs> like MUTV commentary is not. Yeah, every other goal, it's oh my word. Yeah, <laughs> his voice is so high and like, <laughs> it's just like. Give me Peter Drury. Give me Martin Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> give give me the give voices me I love. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, if if I were to provide a uh, more of the um, view from the ignorance, then um, since I was not familiar with the season, um, did you guys enjoy that that one uh, message I sent you in the group Slack where I was like. I've never heard of Bebe. Who is he? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's a good reason for that. Yeah. Man, what a weird signing. Yeah, and um, clear this up for me, too. Uh, once again, listeners, excuse my ignorance. I'm sorry. Uh, was this when Valencia was still playing on the wing, or was he uh, was he playing right back? Yeah, yes. he was a winger. So Valencia actually had a very good season the year before uh, where he assisted on a ton of Rooney goals. From the wing, he was still a pretty frustrating winger because he was signed to replace Ronaldo, and you know he ha- he was a one-trick pony. It was I'm gonna go right every single time, and I'm gonna bang in a cross. And Nani was our player of the year that year, and I think a lot of that has to do with Valencia getting hurt. So like Valencia gets hurt, and that's a big loss because he was so good the year before. Turned out to be a bigger loss because he never re- recovered. Like he was never the same player after that injury. But what it did was it allowed Nani to play on the right. And this is probably why in real time I didn't appreciate uh, Nani that season for what he was doing. He, he he finished the year in the league with nine goals and 19 assists. 19 assists is a bonkers number. Those are Mkhitaryan but, numbers. Yeah. I Mkhitaryan mean, at Dortmund it's, numbers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like maybe it's, maybe it's tough to say – it's tough to say it's tough to say this right now because you look at Kevin De Bruyne but like one of the issues with this team and why you don't remember them is they didn't have that dominant player especially because Rooney and Berbatov Berbatov was the first half of the season Rooney was the second half of the season they didn't have that guy that like carried them all season and you know it's it's hard to you know Nani's numbers right there suggest that he did but it's hard to call a guy that's just assisting like oh he's you know carrying us it's hard to say like well nani's on the field we can get a goal what the thing about nani was i I think nani's career was ruined when he arrived at old trafford and they labeled him the next ronaldo because that went straight to his head and he scored a couple of goals coming from the left side cutting in and just ripping it top corner with his right foot and after that um, when he played on the left side, it seemed like that was the only thing he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many memories I have of Nani dribbling and shooting wide with Rooney wide open in the middle of the box and him just looking at Nani being like, what the hell? Uh, but when he played on the right wing, he played within the team. And 
that was this season where he played, you know, he made 36, 30 appearances total on the right wing, 11 on the left. And the proof is in the pudding. The assists were there the entire time. He was so good that year. And it just shows, goes to show you like what he could have been. And I, it, I just couldn't stand when they put him on the left and that all that talent seemed to disappear in favor of, I'm going to put this on my right foot and just shoot it. Well, that's because he lives his life by one principle, like we all do, bangers only. Right. Um, <laughs> and then let me do my somersault. Well, and if I were to make another suggestion, you know, learning from the past for the current Manchester United team, just looking at the, the stats here, Nemanja Vintage, captain, center back, five goals, Harry Maguire, come on, baby. Well, let's get those Vintage numbers up. That that was an incredible season from Vintage, and yeah. it, one of the games that I did, did remember. Player of the year that year? Do I see that right on the video? The Premier League. Yeah. 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 At the end of the season, I think he and Sir Alex were presented with awards. I don't know if he. I don't think he was PFA Player of the Year, but I'm. He got a golden yeah. soccer ball. He did. He maybe it was a Player of the Month award. Maybe. Hold on, I'm gonna look this up. I am looking it up, but one of the games that I did remember without having to do it, like very much remember where I was when I watched it, was that game against Aston Villa where Makeda scored, and then um, he was in the PFA Team of the Year that year. That's for sure. Oh, he was he was Premier League Player of the Season. Wow! Hell yeah! The second time he won that award. Damn! Wow! Well. I only buy goat jerseys, and I recently bought a Nemanja Vidic jersey. So there you go. <laughs> um, also, I don't, I don't need I, to I very bring much up that Aston Villa game where Vidic did score that equalizer, and and he was so huge. And then I, I he scored again against Everton, I guess, to get us a result. Yeah. Or was that no? We ended that was the game that we conceded the exact same goal twice in the last three minutes. Uh, another thing I noticed about this season, and I remember it like uh, in hindsight, I remember it's just way too much Johnny Evans, way too much Johnny Evans. That's real Ferdinand was hurt for most of the season. And it was just too much Johnny Evans. Honestly, I feel that way about any game that Johnny Evans played in for Manchester United, but you know, <laughs> and it culminated with that red card uh, oh. for that horrific Holden, which I will say U.S. soccer has still not recovered from. Uh, oh, that's brutal. I, I usually flash back. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Nathan. Oh, no. keep. I was about to change the subject, so keep going. I flash back to when I hear Johnny Evans. I flash back to the 6-1 Manchester Derby loss at Old Trafford where he just brings down, I guess it was Balotelli, and that really kick-started the whole thing because at that point we're down to 10 men and they're just on this goal spree now. And, I mean... One of one of the few Man United games where I didn't watch all the way through, I just turned it off at one point. I just couldn't anymore. I did too. I remember that. I did too. I shut it off. And went, it was like a 7.30 kick. Yeah. So I just shut it off and went back to bed. And the, but the, I, I forget what year it was. I don't think it was his first year. It might have been his second or maybe this season. But like just how many times do we concede a goal and like you watch the replay back and like Johnny Evans was standing there in the box watching the play and not doing any media. Like I was like, hey, I am watching on TV. Like you're actually on the pitch. You should be playing, not watching. Yeah. God, what a frustrating player. <laughs> All right, Nathan, what were you going to do? Now it's like become like one of the better Premier League defenders and they're like praising his longevity and everything and it's like oh how did United let him get away because he was terrible when he played for us well Colin if I were to bring up another possibly controversial topic that came from the uh, 2010-2011 season review um, Edwin Vandersar a man that we waxed poetic (laughs) for a strong hour talking about Talking about Edwin Vandersar, thinking, you know, he'd be a great man to take over as sporting director. You and I spoke at length about him, and we hold him in high regard. I had him on my FIFA team last year. Uh, love me some Edwin Vandersar. A uh, great uh, ambassador for the club. Come on, Nathan, say it. Say he it. said that Rooney's bicycle kick was not a proper goal. Colin, you have the floor. Look. Oh, that's not what you he, oh, was, okay. he was joking. Colin, you he was joking. But. This has been a very 
popular discussion amongst fans on Twitter and Manchester United fans that Rooney, in fact, hit the ball with his shin and therefore should not be regarded as a proper bicycle kick. I, however, disagree for the fact that the trajectory of the ball was straight into the top corner of the net. So Wayne Rooney, being the football genius that he is, obviously thought, okay, I have to hit this ball with the part of (laughs) where my foot meets my shin so that I can get the perfect trajectory of this ball into the corner of Joe Hart's net. Therefore, yeah, man, making he, this a brilliant bicycle If he hits it with his foot, it's over. Yeah. If he hits it with his foot, uh, it's well, going straight into the ground. Here's the question. Where did the ball end up? The back of the net. Yeah, so I don't really care where it hit. And did it hit it? Did it hit him clean in the laces? No. Who cares? The guy jumped over his back and put the ball in the top right corner in what was the biggest, probably the biggest derby in, you know, the biggest derby by far in a long time, and probably the biggest one of the decade. Like that is one thing I never forgot about this season was City got their ownership in 2008, 2009, which is right when I got to college. And it took them a few years to, to actually become good. They, they were already making a lot of noise, splashing around, throwing around money. But this was the first year that they were actually, like, they were in the title becoming race a threat. For a and, yeah. And I remember watching that game, and it was so tense, so unbelievably tense. And Nani scored that goal, and I – it was it was also like a 7:45 kick, and I didn't want to scream because I didn't know if my roommates were were uh, were awake, and I didn't want to wake them up. So I had to like silently celebrate in my bed, but I still could not even breathe watching this game. And I had a paper thin wall that separated me and the living room. And City obviously scored because I knew one goal was never going to hold up. I, you know, this was the first game I was really on edge for in a long time, and I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to beat these guys. And Rooney does that, and I just heard from the other room, my roommate, who is not a United fan, just go, wow. (laughs) And I, like, (laughs) it was such a, it was just such a moment of, like, it's not your time yet, guys. Like, we are, we're big brother, and we are, it's, we're still on top, and that may not last, but just not yet. It's like when your little brother's growing up, and he, he starts to, you're like, he's going to start beating me in one-on-one basketball soon. But, like, I'm going to assert my dominance on him one more time. <laughs> that goal was was so big. Well, in defense of Wayne Rooney's goal as well, uh, whether it being a proper goal or not, um, I believe it was SportsCenter top 10 play, the number one play for, like, 45 straight weeks when they still did oh, that. Yeah. So I think it may an have... unproper goal would not go that long. I think it may have only been unseated by the butt fumble. In terms of like ESPN most watched clips. Oh, I mean, that's that's iconic. That's iconic, though. Everybody saw that on Thanksgiving night. F off. I was I was making my. It's still the number one goal of the Premier League. Yeah, we're done with it. It's the number one goal of the Premier League of all time. And where Nathan, where I thought Nathan was going to go when he brought up Edwin Vanderstar, as I watched this this DVD back. Thank God he retired because that would have been really awkward if he didn't because, my God, was Edwin Vandersar bad that See, year. See, that Woo! is actually where I think this season review does him a huge disservice, is that it only shows the goals. <laughs> now, one of my favorite performances from that season was a 2-0 win over Arsenal the in the FA Cup, where Edwin Vandersar had maybe 10 saves in that entire game. Right, they don't show you. And and that was another thing I noticed about that game was, you know, back then, United Arsenal was still appointment TV. And yeah. when they lined up for the first for the first one, for the first match of the season, I went, I don't remember this at all. And, like, we won 1-0. And then, and then we lined up for the FA Cup, and I'm like, we played Arsenal in the FA Cup? And, I, and then when I saw the game, I was like, oh, right, this was the game where the literally the two De Silvas beat Arsenal. I was like, yeah. I do remember that game. But and then I, I I do remember the Aaron Ramsey one, but I'm like the fact that they're like these United Arsenal games were just not even lodged into my memory was a telling sign. Uh, and you're right, they 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 do show Vandersar a disservice, but some of those goals that he conceded were were really poor. And yeah, the one where he like drops the ball straight for the West Brom striker, um, I think that was pretty early in the season. Another two-two draw. 
And and look, this is definitely hindsight and watching David De Gea for as long as we watched him. But Vandersar was the guy who came in when after we had gone through a million goalkeepers between as we were searching for the for the next Peter Schmeichel. And we went through Bartez and Howard, Roy, you know, the list goes on and on. And then Van der Sar came in and he was dependable. And I think that was the best word to describe him. He made some good saves, but for the most part, he made the saves that he had to make. He made a few, but not many like spectacular. I shouldn't have made that save saves. Not talking about like the diving save where it's like he dove and it looked really nice, but he should have made it. I'm talking about like De Gea against Arsenal, like all those saves that he just had no business making saves. For the most part, if you if you took a shot that should go in the net against Edwin Vanishar, it was gonna go in the net. The key was we had Vidish and Ferdinand in front of him, and you know, it was hard to get one of those shots. And once the defense started breaking down and with Vidic and Ferdinand, it was it was free it was free reign on our goal. You know, like we made Thomas Kuchak look like a good goalkeeper. Which was another person I was not aware of existing uh, <laughs> when he popped up. He popped up for like three seconds in an interview format in that video, and I was like, "Who in the <laughs> f is this?" Or Scunthorpe, or somebody like that. Scunthorpe. Yeah. Yeah. He. He played a lot, like, the year they won the Champions League. He played in a bunch of games, like, in league games, too. So it was, like, normal to kind of see him every so often. Was it kind of like Juventus a couple years ago when they had um, Buffon and Chesney? Where no, they, it was, like... never that level, but it was, like... It was, it was almost like, like the NHL, where it was, like, you give your backup a game every now and then. Okay. Like, it was, like, oh, okay, Kuchak's starting today because we're playing West Brom. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I think Sir Alex Ferguson was aware of Vanderzar's age. I think, especially towards you know the last two or three seasons, and that's because Ben Foster played a lot in the 2009-2010 season as well. Well, Vanderzar was hurt at the beginning that's of the true. year, so Ben Foster like was given the glove, and Kuchak was hurt too. We hadn't gotten rid of Kuchak. yeah, obviously we hadn't gotten rid of Kuchak yet, and Ben Fo- well Ben Foster was given the gloves and like. People were like, he's going to be the number one someday, so like, this is his chance to take it, and he very much did not yeah, take he, it. Yeah. And he is basically the reason that that 4-3 game against City wasn't wrapped up by the time that Michael Owen right. had to score. <laughs> I, I remember being a massive Ben Foster fan and being like, this guy's our future number one, he's England's future number one, and he very much did not take it. <laughs> All right. So um, I think that kind of wraps up our time pretty well. Um, we're going to discuss uh, possibly another season review to talk about next time. But uh, in the meantime, uh, everybody stay safe. Please, please wash your hands. And uh, don't take unnecessary risks. But also, you know, continue to support your local economy as best as you can so that it doesn't tank. Right, and and go on the internet and argue with me because I really just need something to do during the day. Yeah, and if you know of a a way that we can watch sports that are still happening somewhere, please let us know. Yeah, I mean, like, look, start an argument with me. I like it could be about Power Rangers. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I will I will argue with you about anything. I will take the other side of it. I'll argue that like that no, Tommy wasn't better than Jason. Like, I'll figure something out. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Oh, we're gonna do this. <laughs> Tune in next time for Nathan and Polly to argue about Power Rangers. Finally, a topic that Colin knows nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! That are we finally hitting the age gap right now, Colin? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, Colin, oh what was childhood? <laughs> uh, my childhood was SpongeBob and what's Manchester it, United. <laughs> what's it? What's it like to grow up where the Pink Ranger isn't your first crush? Uh, yeah, like how is like. Who taught you things if it wasn't like, – did you watch Bormius World? Like, what? Uh, My guidance as a kid was Zordon and Mr. Feeny. Feeny! I watched Nesty Classified School Survival Guide. Does that count? Oh, my oh. God. Jesus, Colin. What, what was well, that we on lost, Team Nick? We lost all of our UK listeners. <laughs> as if the accents don't do that enough. Right. Like, us talking about MUTV is probably the way British people think about Manchester United podcasters. <laughs> 
they 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 heard me go. I didn't watch any of the season live, and they were like, "I'm out." <laughs> yeah, you mean you can't recall 1994 and Konchelsky's? <laughs> wow. So we can probably wrap this thing up. I'll do my plugs. Then. Yeah, maybe we'll do 93 uh, uh, 94 season review next, since none of us experienced it live. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was like three years old, but um. Yeah, if you want to hear some pretty hot fire takes about Lego Masters, um, holler at your boy, at Nathan is right on Twitter. Uh, Lego Masters premieres tonight. It's going to be lit. All right. That about does it. <laughs> we'll see you next time.